I thought everybody was like that. Mm-hmm. I thought every family had instruments and loved music and you could do this. And a lot of people, guys in the neighborhood was like, oh no, man, I, can we come over your house? That's what life was. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. um, you, you just made music together. Hello and welcome to Where the Living Room Used to Be, a podcast about Rhode Island's music scene. Hey everyone, it's James. On this episode, I was lucky enough to meet back up with the one and only Joe Potenza, to talk more deeply about his impressive music career. In our conversation, we go back to the start of how various instruments came into his life, the moment he became attached to bass, and who motivated him to play early on. We also cover the many styles of music he's performed over the years, some of the big names he's joined on stage, and we go all the way up to the connection he has with his current band, Evening Sky. Speaking of that, this Jazz Roots Quartet has released another installment of their Plus One series. This one features singer Eden Castillo, and in our interview you'll learn a lot more about the thought behind how this band writes together and with others. Hope you enjoy the episode, and please subscribe to Where the Living Room Used to Be on your favorite podcast app, as I'll be posting some bonus mini-episodes with Joe in the coming weeks. Thanks. what I've uh, seen, you know, you grew up in like a musical family. Um, yeah. So what was that uh, experience like for you? Well, it was, there was six kids. Okay. Uh, the oldest sister was significantly older pre-war. Yeah. Um, and I was born, I was in utero at her wedding. So there was a big spread. Oh yeah. Okay. You know, the last of us, my younger brother was, is two years younger than me and he was born in 1956. Yeah. So, um, there's a there's a, uh, there's a big spread from my sister to then the post-war kids when my father came home from the war. My mother was a, a self-taught piano player. Okay. And a really you know a stage mother just loved to have her kids and loved to see her kids performing. We would put uh-huh. on shows. My father drove truck for for a while for a sheet metal company, so he would go on these long hauls up to a project in way upstate New York mm-hmm. and be gone for a week. So. The entertainment was, you know, because television was, you know, pretty new and yep. almost, you know, the entertainment was we're going to put on a show. And yeah. my mother would play things and, you know, and then later on we were part of a, a tap dancing school that my, my oldest sister had opened because she was a child tap dancing star. Oh, and man. so we had to be, all of us were in the reviews and I was, my first time on stage was I was five years old. Really? Wow. In a in a white satin cowboy suit, singing a, <laughs> a novelty song about a kid with his broomstick horse. Yeah. And that was my first gig, uh, you wow. know. But my mother was the mastermind behind all this stuff, really? and my father was just like a big supporter. He would, you know, he helped build the scenery. He got us, you know, and and anytime we showed any inter- anybody showed any interest, or they even thought that there was some interest. Yep. They would, you know, do you want? Would you like to try an instrument? You know? Okay. Um. So my older brother, you know, got fascinated by guitar. We had a cousin, 
an older cousin who played guitar in like local clubs and stuff like that. And he was just like the coolest looking guy. He was like the, like the local Elvis kind of guy, oh, really? you know, and he played guitar and he was like, he, he, you know, he always had like, he had the hair and stuff and, and we all looked up to him. So he kind of took my older brother under his wing, yeah. showed him a few chords and that kind of stuff. And then, you know, and my father and mother, you know, would you like an instrument? Mm -hmm. So my father would, knew you know some musicians there was uh, somebody uh, in the in the neighborhood who was dating a musician so he would talk to them and find out what should i get yeah and that's how it would do it and i when i was nine years old i got a drum set because i expressed a little bit of interest in playing drums okay. and i had a toy set and what he did is he went out and asked this guy what kind of drum should i get and i got a set of ludwigs Wow. For my, you know, I think, that, you know, the use set and yeah. Pop's idea was always, and their idea was, if you get a good instrument, they're going to have a good instrument to play. If yeah. they're not into it, you can always resell it and get your money back if it's a good instrument. Yes, versus getting like this right. like introductory or like, yeah. Because yeah, it was a working class family. Yeah. He was a single income, you know, and six, you know, five yeah. kids. And, uh, you know, so that was the thing. And um, so... My older brother played guitar. He, yeah, good. My younger brother kind of followed in that. He was, he was starting to play guitar. I had, I tried drums for a little while, wasn't into it. Couldn't, didn't have the discipline to do the lessons and everything. Yeah. So yeah. I just kind of let it go. And, um, I, there was, I remember specifically one night I was bored. I was a bored 14 year old walking around the house. Oh, I'm bored. Mm -hmm. I'm bored. My father wanted to watch television on his one night off, probably, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, you know, and he, uh, don't bother me. Go find something to do. Yeah. And my younger brother had borrowed a bass guitar from some friend of his. Mm -hmm. And it was sitting by the, behind the couch. So it's like, I can't go in, in there and bother Pop anymore. So, well, what's this? And I took it out and messing around with it, plugged it into one of my brother's guitar amps. Yeah. And started playing the open strings. And for some reason, I remember I hit the A string. And it sounded like something familiar. And, and I went and got the, one of the records that I thought this sounded like. Yep. And it was a record by Johnny Winter, the blues, the okay. Texas blues guy, right? Yep. The first tune on the album starts out with a bass riff in the key of A. Okay. And as it turned out, I was hitting the A string and thought, hey, this sounds familiar. So I listened to the intro. And, of course, the record, you got to move the needle again and again and again. And... The guy, it starts with A and then the octave of an A and then, and then there's a, like a, a blues, pentatonic blues line that goes down. And I thought, it's just bass there. I bet I could find these notes. Yeah. And on that one A string, I found all the notes to that riff. And by the end of the night, when it was time to go to bed, I had learned the intro to that song. But it was all on one string. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know what the other strings were <laughs> supposed to be tuned to. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. But I knew, I learned that, and it just fascinated me that I was able to hear that stuff and find it on the instrument. And then play you it, know, yeah. And then play it. And there was always a piano in the house. Yeah. So, you know, uh, like not long after that, I found a bass guitar book, and it had an illustration where with arrows from the strings to what keys on the piano you tune them to. Okay. So I was able to tune the instrument up yeah. and then play on other strings. And now I'm listening, you know, all the stuff that I was listening to at the time, which was yeah. like, you know, like, you know, white blues guys mm -hmm. and um, the band and some Beatles stuff 
and um, uh, blood, sweat, early blood, sweat, and tears, and those kinds of things. They all had like really involved bass parts. I couldn't play them. Yeah. But I could find my once, and then once I figured out it, that the blue, you know, what a twelve-bar blues pattern was about, mm-hmm. and where those chords were on the piano, because I could find them on the piano. Then I started to apply that on bass. Then I started to listen to lines and learn them, like I did the other stuff. I was just kind of off and running. Yeah. With this borrowed bass. And um, played, you know, trying to not blow up my brother's guitar amp by playing too loud through it. <laughs> yeah. And, I, you know, I just became really fascinated by yeah. it. Then it was time I'll... to give the bass back okay. to, the, to the friend. And my mother asked me, do you think you would want a, a real bass? And I said, yeah, you know, I, I think I'm just messing around. This oh, okay. is just, just for, for laughs. I don't think so. They ignored that. And the following Christmas... I got a Fender Precision bass, brand new. The industry standard, yeah, not yeah. some cheap instrument at the time, which would have had like been unplayable probably because yeah. they were just not you know well <laughs> like made at the time. Neck, you know? <laughs> this would this this was like a Fender Precision bass, yeah. like yeah. the cats in the studio play, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I I, I was like astounded that there was there. You know, I, I've 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 said you know in in other places like in my on my bio on the website. My parents knew I was a bass player before I knew it. Mm-hmm. And I just went off. That was it. I was yeah. like dove in the deep end. When I, uh, when I graduated from, uh, from high school, I got my, my father bought me my first bass amp. Yeah. No, it was my birthday before that, before I graduated. He took me out to a, a store in Pawtucket and uh, I, a Fender Bassman amp. Yeah. Use one, you know, which yeah. guys would kill for now to have. Yeah, probably. And, um, <laughs> And you know, then, then my little brother decided it was go- he was going to start a band with some friends in the neighborhood. Yeah. And he, you know, was saying you should come and play with us. And I said, eh, no, you know, yeah, I don't think so. Really? Yeah, wow. I don't think so. I, yeah, I'm just doing this. I'm not ready. I'm not doing just doing this. And my little brother, being the guy, the guy that he is, said, Ah, oh, come on. Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna, come on. We're going over. We're going over Bobby's house and the, the, the back room of his father's store. We, we're going to play in there. So I went in there, and there's, you know, Bobby Jacoby from my own, you know, the, the guys from my neighborhood. You know, yeah. Bobby Jacoby and Ricky Ferry and you know people like that, and we just. Just started playing stuff, and what do you know? Well, you know, Sympathy for the Devil, and we played Sympathy for the Devil for like three hours. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I had never had the experience of playing live music with somebody, with other people for the first time. Just went through me like like really? like okay. lightning, you know, and that was it. That yeah, was okay. it. I want you know, my fingers were I, I my, were completely bleeding and had the no blisters that had broken and, and skinned off, and I just couldn't wait to heal them up and go back and 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 do it again, do do it some more. Yeah, you know, it's just like this. I mean, and this the 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 common thread behind all of this is like you know, seeing the Beatles, you know, when you were a kid. That's every that's at the bottom of everybody's story. Mm-hmm. You know, and. Uh, and then girls showed up at some of the some of the rehearsals, and <laughs> that was it. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was it. You know, I, um, I'm doing this. I'm I'm doing this a lot. And when can we do it again? You know? Yeah. And yeah. so I was in that band with my younger brother, and you know, we got in a lot of fights about stuff. And yeah. you know, what it, was it, the name of that band? That band was called. Uh, it was. It started out as being called Dirty Socks, <laughs> which is taken from a line on the the inner sleeve of the Stones album, uh, Let It Bleed. Okay. There's a line in the corner that at the bottom of the liner notes. It just says, hard knocks and dirty socks. 
okay. and we we <laughs> took the, the, that from there. So yeah. that, that's that was it for a while, and then it became other things. But uh, uh, and that was me through like played my first gig in 1972, January of 1972. So it was yeah. like the 50th anniversary last wow. year of the yeah. first gig. Where, do you remember where that was? Or? It was at a. It wasn't even a high school dance. It was a meeting in the church basement of the Catholic Youth Organization group for this parish in the North End that we went where we went to school. Yeah. And we just basically took over the meeting. Okay. We just said, well, you know, yeah. we're going to play after the meeting. You know? Yeah. So we set up our ramps wow. and just decided we were going to play, and that was it. And yeah. then we wound up playing dances after that. We knew three songs, and we played them three times each. <laughs> just because that you know yeah. we, we took over and a lot of this was my younger brother who was like the more assertive you know mm -hmm. what the hell let's do let's do it that was his, yeah, his yeah. thing you know and he just kind of dragged me into it and you know yeah i'm glad he did you know yeah it was like my family i, I was like not really assertive but my family just kind of saw something there yeah and said nah, come on why not you know do this yeah yeah and and, and that was it so we took over the, that and we played some dances and then we played you know party lo local people's you know local guys from this from stoners from the high schools would throw parties and we yeah. would play them and you know that kind of stuff um some clubs here and there yeah uh, were you doing any original stuff or no not at that stuff? point it yeah, was okay. all like rolling stones grateful dead yeah. Almond Brothers. We want. I wanted to be Barry Oakley. I, when I heard the Almond Brothers band, I you know I, that was it. I wanted to be Barry Oakley. Yeah. You know, yeah. and um, I played with a pick, and I you know um, we played a lot of those songs. It was you know it, it's music that in the you know by the time it, like seventy two, seventy three, seventy four. The music scene was moving on to other things, uh, yeah. and we were we were still there. And so we, you know, we didn't really, you know, and and it wasn't a wonderful band either. But we played a bunch of stuff, and you know, it was a good sounding, a good yeah. rocking band. But you know, it had its limits, and um, but it, it, I learned a lot doing yeah. it. And um, then I, you know, so when that band broke up, I at that point I had met my wife. The woman who would who would become my wife, and she had whole different musical tastes. Yeah, okay. She liked singer songwriters like James Taylor and Gordon Lightfoot and stuff like that. Yeah, okay. And Jackson Brown. And, oh, man. <laughs> I'm thinking like, yeah. yeah. But I would go over her house, and she would play this stuff, and 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 the more I listened to it. Yeah, I, I realized there was some great. I mean, Leland Sklar played bass on all those early James Taylor records. Mm -hmm. Rick Haynes played bass in Gordon Lightfoot's band right up until he died last year. Okay. And his bass playing on those early albums where there's not a whole lot of instrumentation, it's just two guitars and bass, Yeah. and Gordon Lightfoot singing, so you could really hear these parts coming out, no drums. Yeah. So there's yeah. a whole different approach. And I went, I just kind of yeah. got fascinated by that stuff and, and a lighter touch on the bass yeah. and a more melodic approach. Yep. And then at some point right around then, my older brother, who had gone off to Berkeley, Mm -hmm. would every once in a while drop a jazz album on me. Mm -hmm. Like the first Weather Report album. Here, okay. listen to this. Uh, Freddie Hubbard's Red Clay. Here, listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> or Miles Davis's Bitches Brew. Here, listen to this. I'm I, like, what? I had no idea what I was listening to, but it was fascinating. <laughs> yeah. And the bass parts were certainly, you know, yeah. there. And I just kind of got fascinated by jazz, too. Did you continue in that pattern of, like, hearing this music and then... 
like sitting with it and trying to to learn it. So when you'd get like that miles record, you'd be like, let me just try to play. The, it. Actually, was no, it for, those, for some of those, I didn't for a long time. It took okay. me, because I realized that there was way more going on, not just in the bass parts, but musically. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, would, I didn't even do that like with the band, with yeah. their music. Rick Danko the, the, and, the, and the song structures that were, they wrote, they were, the, you could tell that they came from the blues in different places, yeah, but okay. they weren't playing a straight blues like I had been used to. You know, and this was not like a long jams, like an Allman Brothers tune. It was just like a little story mm -hmm. with this f f group of five guys that was, you know, had, had their own language almost. And I used to listen to Rick B Danko's bass parts and just scratch my head. And it was the same thing with like some of some of those jazz records that I hear. He Frank, my my brother would you know play a George Benson record, okay, you know, and things are like it was play, he's playing bebop at that time, and yeah, I'm yeah. like, I had no idea. Uh -huh. He gave me an album with uh, Jim Hall and Ron Carter, just guitar and bass, do a live album, and I'm listening to what Ron Carter is doing with this guy with no drums, yeah, and it was like just mysterious. Yeah. And then I would follow Ron, the line and find that Ron Carter played with Miles Davis. And I'd listen to some of the things he did there. And like, wow, it's you know, mid 60s Miles Davis quintet. Yeah. It's just mystifying. Then I, I, I actually bought Bitches Brew on my own, come to think of it. Not, yeah, that wasn't yeah. a gift. And just, it, I knew it was unlike what I had heard before. And once in a while, I would sit and try to, like, I, I remember trying to figure out the, 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 the line to, um, uh, the intro line to Bitches Brew, the doom, 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 you know, and I yeah, yeah. kind of figured it out, but then in the middle of the song, it would just gonna get, get out there, so I don't, you know. Yeah, I can't do that. So <laughs> I was getting informed by that music, yeah. but I wasn't playing it yet. Yeah. Um, but later on, you know, I think all that early listening I did, yeah, exactly. That's what comes when I finally that. started to try and play it, I had the information in there, even though even if I didn't know the terminology or yeah. the theory, the information of what the bass did in certain contexts in jazz music was already in there. Yeah. So people again, my family put music in my ears. Yeah. And and, and in my life almost yeah. against <laughs> in yeah. spite of me. Yeah. <laughs> I was born into a family that loved music. My mother played. My father was a huge fan. Mm -hmm. When they would go to see the big bands when they were dating, yeah, okay. my mother told me she would want to dance 
because it was even like yeah. Duke Ellington. It was music for dancing. Yeah. Um, she would be the one that wanted to dance. She said, your father would stand by the bandstand and all look and try to check out what, the, what everybody was doing. He was that <laughs> guy. Yeah. yeah. You know? That's me too. I'm always like standing by the side of the stage and be like, what is the drummer doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and even though he didn't play himself, he loved the idea that his children, you know, you know, might have an interest in it. Yeah. He was like all in as far as supporting it cool. when it happened. Yeah. You know, and what, now what that also meant was we lived on the third floor of a three decker yeah. in the North and, End. And where was this? In, in North End of Providence. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Right down the hill from Providence College. Right? Cool. Uh, where the hockey rink is from, in, for Providence College now was my grandfather's goat field, where his goats. Really? Were, yeah, where, where they, they would go up the hill and feed the goats up in, in, in wow. that field. So that's, so we were down, you know, down the hill from there. Yeah. Now, Grandfather, grandparents, my and two aunts are on the first floor, an aunt and uncle are on the second floor, and we're on the third floor with all the musicians. Yeah. Right. So, I can't imagine what it was like to you know live on the second floor. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize to my aunt Mary late in life for, yeah, for that. Yeah. I said, yeah. just I'm I, I know that can't have been fun, and she yeah, she yeah. just laughed. But um, they would let us drag our stuff upstairs and rehearse. Wow. In a like five-room apartment on a third floor with, yeah. like, thin, you know, a sliding door. Be- My father's on the other side of a sliding door trying to watch the game on his one night off. Yeah. Working his tail off as a sheet metal worker, you know. <laughs> and he's trying to watch And we're right next in the, in the room next door blaring away. Wow. And they were fine with it. Yeah. You know, they would, they would, they were fine with it. There was just never a question of this has got to stop or you got to, yeah. you know, it just, yeah, they were totally behind it. That's and we, it. we thought, I thought everybody was like that. Mm-hmm. I thought every family had instruments and loved music and you could do this. And a lot of people, guys in the neighborhood was like, Oh no, man, I, well, can we come over to your house? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a old buddy of mine, when when we talk about this stuff, he said, "I wish I'd grow up in your yeah. neighborhood." <laughs> but it was just that's what life was. Yeah, you know, you yeah. um, you you just made music together. My yeah. my aunt Isabel couldn't play guitar, but she didn't let that stop her from trying to play guitar. And she would sing and bang out things that weren't even chords, but she would sing at family gatherings. Yeah, you know, um, you know, my mother. Self-taught piano player, yeah. But she would play at the drop of a hat or make you a tape. If you let me make you a tape, so you can take it home for your kids, and you know, and you should wow. write songs for. She wrote a specific theme song for each for my two kids and my sister's two kids. Really? She, wow. Yeah, she composed a, like a specific, you know, little, little song for each. For each <laughs> that was just that's what, what life did, yeah. was for yeah. us. Yeah. And you know, just have a new guitar. Okay, great. You know, let's can I can I play it? Yeah. You know, like, would you like to play bass? No. Here's a bass anyway. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, it, it's late at night, and I'm listening to stuff, trying to learn stuff, and my father is two rooms away trying to sleep. Yeah. And they don't say boo. Yeah. You know. They, it, it's, you know, and my older brother saying, you know, coming home from, I was scared to death of him when he went to Berkeley because that represented like, you know, ascending the mountain, you know, yeah, like, and I, you know, and I wasn't going to be going studying music. That's not, you know, what wasn't what I saw myself doing. And I would, I would make sure that I was never playing, that he was never in the house when I was pl- playing or pr- practicing or trying to learn a song. 
and one day why is that just because i didn't like, want him to i didn't want him to hear yeah i was intimidated even though yeah. he wasn't like trying to intimidate yeah. you know yeah. i just didn't you know i was um and I remember one day, it was right toward the end of his last semester, and I'm playing, and he came home unexpectedly while I was playing, learning a new thing. And and it was actually, a, a, it was a, a blues tune, but it was like in 6-8, in and it was swinging, it was kind of swinging, it was a Paul Butterfield thing, and it okay. was like, do 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 And I, it's like, there's a walking bass line, yeah. you know, in three, and all of a sudden the door opens, and he's, and he's, and he's listening. And I was, I was, you know, I was mortified, you know, you got because yeah, not only just playing bass, but playing something that almost sounded like jazz. And yeah, I was like, yeah. oh my god! Yeah. And he went, no, 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 don't, don't, don't stop. That sounded good. Yeah. And I, I almost, <laughs> almost yeah. pee myself. Yeah. That, that he actually was, you know, was would say that, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, this so, is Frank, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. so it was, um, it was just always there. It was always around. We breathed it. You, you you went to bed listening to this stuff. You woke up and listened to this stuff. You know you, you you know pop would take us to the record store at the drop of a hat and stand either wait in the car or stand by the register while we just looked around and picked out what we needed, yeah. what we wanted to find. You know. Yeah. He was you know uh, there was a, there was a record stores on North Main Street. A few yeah. of them that we used to go to, yeah. and he would just he knew one of the guys. Was uh, was was an old jazz guy from the area, Carl Henry. Yeah. And my father knew him, and that was the place. Carl knew jazz, but that was also the place to go for like the newest single from the the Stones or something really? like that. Yeah. Or R and B stuff. Yeah. You know, and my father would stand there and talk to him, because my father, right in that same area, was the Celebrity Club, mm -hmm. which was the first integrated jazz club in the nation. Mm -hmm. In Rhode Island, in the in we now what's Moshasic Square. Mm -hmm. It was Randall Square at the time. So his sheet metal shop that he worked at was in that area, and okay. he knew Carl because the Celebrity Club. And he, he knew musicians. He knew you know, and uh, so he would hang out and talk to Carl while we, we looked around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was that's it was that's unbelievable sport. This was sport. just everyday life for us, yeah. and I, I I didn't you know I I didn't really grasp how different it was from a lot of the the upbringing a lot that a lot of my friends mm -hmm. had at the time and as i got older I was, that was you know that was not how most people lived yeah in those days yeah you know but you know they made sure we did our homework and yeah no <laughs> exactly, kind of exactly. Stuff and, yeah you know but uh it, it's that it was just a uh, it was as much a part of our lives as eating and drinking yeah you know, and uh, well, it seems like it's paid off. Oh, you know, it, it was great. <laughs> you know, it was like um, what, what your career. It did. It, you know, it's um, done. You know, like eventually, what what happened was like as I was getting out of college, I was involved in a country rock band. Okay. That was called Bourbon Renewal. Yeah. Yeah, and um, Tower of Power had an album out at the time called Urban Renewal, yeah. so we called it Bourbon Renewal, <laughs> aka the band that's drunker than you are. All right. <laughs> that that was our tagline. Yeah, the band yeah. that's drunk, and we we were, um, but we were playing. This, it started out as almost a bluegrass band, and then evolved into like a, it added drums and became a country rock band. And the guitar player liked the Allman Brothers too, so we threw yeah. some of that in there. And that's what I was doing all the way, you know, mostly through college. Yeah. As I was as that was ending, uh, the band broke up kind of suddenly. Yeah. And. 
I was, I had gotten married at that point and I was a new father. And now it was like, I need to replace some of this money that, you know, this was some income. We worked, we were working a, a fair amount. Yeah, you know? okay. and, I, and, and I was a first year teacher in a Catholic school making like nothing. Mm-hmm. So, but, oh man, what am I going to do? Maybe I should actually get a gig. Mm-hmm. And there was an older guy in the area, Hank Walters, who was like one of the, the guys in the local country music scene, straight ahead okay. country music. Yeah. And he had heard our band at a, at a, day long thing with a bunch of bands playing and he, he always he's, he liked it he said to me if you ever need a gig come see me and i'm thinking yeah yeah right yeah, yeah sure yeah, yeah. um now i needed a gig so i went to hank one night where we he's playing at a club in east providence and on a break i said hey hank how you doing and i said you remember when you mentioned about like if i needed a gig do you know anybody and without a pause he goes show up next thursday night here I, and I went, well, what about the dude that's playing? I mean, the guy was in the other room. I said, what about that dude? Like, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he said, don't worry about that. Show up next Thursday night. Wow. And I showed up next Thursday night, and he said, okay, it's four nights a week. What? Wow. And that was it. I started. No rehearsal, no charts. I didn't know <laughs> most of the tunes. Yeah. Just get up and play. Here you go, right, right in the deep end, and, and all this? I all I could see, all I had to go on was the back of his left hand to see, and my ears. So I had to listen for when the chords were changing, and watch his hand, and then memorize. Or right, when it's here, it's the four chord. When he's playing over here, I could only see the back. I couldn't even see he, the front. He wasn't even turning it to show right. you what the chord nope, was. Nope, he wouldn't. Right. He would just look over his shoulder and laugh. Wow. And That's... the drummer would tell me what to Now, some of them, if they were standards, like, yeah. I can't help it if I'm still in love. I, I knew that one, all yeah. right? And I could get my way through that one. Yeah. And then after doing them a few times, I, I kind of learned them. And then they'd throw some new stuff at me. Yeah. You know, let's try this one. You know, you haven't heard this one. All right, here it is. One, two, three. It's in D. Yeah. And... That's it. So my ears, I, I really developed my ears. Had there was no, it was sink or swim. Four sets a night. Wow. And we were playing mostly on Fridays and Saturday. It was is what for for dancers. Yeah. So all the dancers would be there, and they would do you know. So you would have to play all the you know the waltzes. Yeah. And um and all the Hank tunes and all the Hank Thompson tunes and all the you know, um, uh, George Jones tunes yeah, and okay. the Tammy Wynette stuff and you know. And Kenny Rogers, early, you know, Kenny Rogers oh, yeah, hits. Yeah. We were doing all of those, you know. Yeah. And you just had to play them for the dancers. On Thursdays and Sundays, there weren't as many dancers. So it was a great pedal steel player in the band. And he and the guitar player, Hank, knew a bunch of Western swing stuff. Mm-hmm. So we would be, they would pull that stuff out yeah. and we play in Western swing. Now I'm having to play doom, 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 almost like walking lines yeah. and following them at the same time, you know. Yeah. And the drummer's playing, you know, the, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't jazz, but it was like, boy, this is not, you know, it's not today I pass you on the street. Yeah, this is, you know, so, you know yeah. and, and I had to, had yeah. to improvise, yeah. you know, and learn to play. And, and he gave me a lot of, he would give me solos after, after you know, after a while. Yeah. It was, like, it was unheard of. Yeah. You know? But again, I'm one of the real supportive guys. And I learned, I learned how to be a musician for hire mm-hmm. on that gig. Yeah. And I, and my ears became, I really developed my ears and my yeah. sense of, 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 of listening for musical forms yeah. and patterns yeah. and that kind of stuff. And the more I did that, the more I learned the instrument. 
I yeah. got got around. I was able to get around more on the instrument because I was having to do more than play whip and post. Yeah, you know, yep. um, and do and show up every night sober yeah. and do the gig. Yeah, you know. And what was the venue that this was at? Yeah, it was it was a bu- it was a few of them that he played okay. at. There was the the main one was on Lion Avenue in East Providence. It was called the Lion's Den. Okay. And it was uh, L-Y-O-N. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and it was, you went, you would go in and you go downstairs. It was a basement club. So you'd okay. walk in and as you'd be walking down the stairs, the smoke, you'd be walking into a level into of a... smoke that was like here. <laughs> and then, you know, yeah, like this, like you're just, sub- that you're just submerging <laughs> yourself in smoke because everybody smoked in those days yeah, in the yeah. clubs. So it was that kind of stuff. And it was a hangout for East Providence uh, police. So... There was a, you know, a lot of that there. Yeah. And uh, they loved the band. The dancers loved the band. Yeah. You know? And they were really nice to me. I was yeah. coming in from a different background, but they were really nice yeah. you know, to me. When I, when I got another gig and two years later and left the band, they were, everybody was like, what? Oh, come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and one cop, Hank was there, and he, one cop got me up against the bar and said, hey, you want me to make him stay? <laughs> Whoa! All right, <laughs> yeah. but but they were great, and he was like really gracious and really supportive, and uh, it was it was a great first professional experience. Mm-hmm. And then you know I, I played in a, like a bunch of I, I, there was a a good friend of mine from school, Steve Dubois, who was he's he's gone, uh, but he was a great songwriter. Yeah, and this was in like the. Late seventies, early early eighties, and Steve had had a band. He was he was very much into like new wave stuff, you know. Yeah. So he was writing stuff in that vein, and he had a band called The Words. Okay. And I did I did a, few, a bunch of gigs with them for a while. Yeah. And then um, uh, it, uh, started freelancing a little bit. My older brother again was getting ready to leave for the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And he had been doing some sub work on bass, playing some weddings. Okay. For uh, this guy that he knew at a place in Tiverton, who had a, like it was a restaurant wedding factory kind of thing. They had yeah. three rooms, okay. and this singer had had the contract for the house, so he was the house band. Frank had been doing some gigs, gotten through the jazz guys because they they all played weddings. Yeah. He he was playing bass. He said, "Look, I'm getting ready to leave to California." you should start doing some of these gigs. Mm-hmm. So he sent me on a couple of those gigs. Yeah. And again, they were charts, but like I hadn't read, been reading charts. Yeah. And they weren't like long, big band charts, but you just chord charts for, you know, the, the a Neil Diamond song or a Lionel Richie ballad or something like that. Yeah. And I, you know, and during the dinner set, they played standards mm-hmm. from the real book. And it's oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hadn't been to do that before. <laughs> and I'm struggling my way through, I'm, I'm through the first three bars, but they're now down at the bottom of the page because I, you know, <laughs> stayed behind. And it's like, and the piano player was a great jazz piano player who I wound up doing a bunch of gigs with years later. But he he would show me, we're going here, it's going here, this, 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 and this, this, this. All right. And so we're going to a new key here, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And he got helped me get through that. Yeah. So again, I got and I had to play in a context where I wasn't playing loud. I had to play dinner music yeah. and then dancers, but a whole other kind of dancers. Now it's people who want to dance to, you know, 
John Mellencamp, early hits, John yeah. Cougar Mellencamp hits, yeah. <laughs> and Billy, early Billy Joel hits, and Neil Diamond. Yeah, you know, radio stuff. That yeah. that kind of yeah. stuff was on the radio, so I had to learn to basically make myself do that and yeah. do it, you know, the yeah. right way and play, you know, with people. Yeah. Um, so I learned a lot. Did a bunch of Joe Perillo played piano later on in, in, yeah. in a bunch of. We worked did a ton of gigs together. Oh, cool. Doing in that circuit, and this is I've told people this before. I was warned that this singer, Frank, warned, my brother warned me that this singer will, will try to bust your bust your chops. Really? So just be ready for it. Yeah, uh, okay. Yeah. He's just he's a good guy, but he will. You know. So I get there and I do the gig. And he didn't say much to me through the gig. At the end of the gig, he comes over and pays me, and he gives me my money. He shook my hand. And he goes, "You know, Joe, I worked with a lot of bass players in my time." And then he walked away. <laughs> he just turned. He looked at me and nodded, and then turned and walked away. <laughs> what? Yeah. And, you know, but that's what he would yeah, do, yeah, you know. Yeah. No, I think one of the first wedding gigs I ever did with that guy, Greg Abate, was playing saxophone. Oh wow! Okay. You know, and I I knew who he was because I would go see him at Allery, the club downtown yeah. where all the jazzers played, and like you know. But then he's on this gig, and he's calling like Roland Kirk tunes in the in the first set. That I'm, and I had a real book, but I'm going, ah, I can't get you know. Yeah. And he would leave me in the dust, and I'm like sweating like crazy, just trying, you know, making trying to make, you know, get through this song. And little by little, again, being because being thrown in the deep end, yeah, I learned how to get through a chord chart in the real book. Yeah, and then when I realized why people do sessions. Where they play these songs, and I would start. Some of these guys would invite me to sessions, and yeah. I started doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, and again, you'd fall on your face, but in in the sessions, it was not a big deal. Yeah, but, yeah. What kind of drove you to still do that? Was it like, um, you know, because it is. It's interesting to hear that. Like you're just. I could see myself just bailing on that and be like, yeah, yeah I don't know. If you I know what? But I, I think you just kept on going. With what it, did, you know? I think what did it for me, what kept me going, and there was a lot of self-flagellation about this. You know, oh man, I can't believe it. I can't play fast tempos. Oh man, I'll never sound as good as this guy. It was a lot of that. Yeah. But what kept me going was the same thing that kind of was like from the first experience of playing live music. And especially with players who were better than me, mm-hmm. who weren't making fun of me, but were being supportive. Yeah, okay. it was like, boy, when we got through, we got through um, "Blues for Alice," a Charlie Parker tune at a medium tempo. Big deal. Any high school, any junior high school kid can do that now. But the the the, the experience of doing that with other musicians. Yeah, you know, and it's like, boy, this is. Sort of like I heard on this record, you know. Yeah. And then I would have start. I would started listening more. It was like a, a, a self feeding mechanism. I'd start to listen to more music, and try to try to like do what I heard upright players doing. Okay. But see, but I also tried to see what. How can I adapt this to bass guitar? Mm-hmm. And 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 trying to do that. And then when it would work. Or you'd be in a session, or I'd get a gig, and then get called again, or we'd do another session, and we'd actually make progress. Then it was like you know, self self feeding, self perpetuating, yeah, okay. and it was the same. That was that same thrill of like, I can't believe I'm getting to do this yeah, with these okay. guys, and no one's telling me to shut up. Yeah, no one's telling me you suck, even yeah. though at the time I probably sucked. 
you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, or just and, but, yeah. More, yeah. And, and, and I'd just be going to more sessions and, 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 and doing these gigs, and it fed that side of it. And I didn't give up on, the, on any of the other music I played. I still loved it, but this opened up a whole other door and improvising. Yeah, okay. And then the more I listened, I, especially in the 80s, I really threw myself into listening to jazz, not just older jazz, but like what was going on at the time, okay, you know, like a deeper and listening and got into like yeah. Ornette Coleman yeah, and, okay. and that kind of stuff. And, and Ch Charlie Hayden's playing and John Schofield's playing with Steve Swallow. Okay. Steve Swallow was a big, inf a, a huge influence at the time yeah. because he was playing bass guitar and playing jazz. Yeah. Okay. And well, another person that did right. that was Anthony Jackson. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would go see those guys. I would see those guys live and, uh, I saw Gary Burton's band with Pat Metheny and Steve Swallow when Metheny was like 18 years old or something like that, you know. Oh, okay. And you know, and they would, you could see them in places at the colleges or there was a club in Newport or a couple of places where you could go see these guys. Mm -hmm. And we would go all the time to see all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I'd listen and go see how they did it live. I'd listen to a lot of upright players, even though I knew I wasn't going to be an upright player. And how do you how how do they do what they do? What 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 is the what does the bass do in that music as this guy is doing it? Mm -hmm. And then let me see if there's a way I can get to that on bass guitar. Okay. And and that became my thing. I am gonna adapt. When I play jazz, I'm gonna still be a bass guitarist, but I'm gonna try to take what upright players do and yeah. not sound just like an upright. You can't sound just like an upright. Yeah, yeah. But, but Perform that same function of, of of the you know propelling the music forward and the shape of the notes they have that boom 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 like they they have a like a big bloom out front and then yeah. boom and they like round almost like big football shaped notes yeah if you could visualize what a doom 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 sounds like and I said yeah. how do you do that what have I got to do with my hands to, to sound like that yeah as opposed to what I do when I want to sound like Barry Oakley. Or Paul McCartney, you know, like, mm -hmm. what do you do? Well, let's try, let's keep trying. Yeah. And I would, yeah, I, that's interesting. I didn't get, like, I, I don't sound like an upright player, you know, yeah. I don't wanna sound like an upright player. I wanna sound like somebody who's found a way to put their personality in that kind of music. Yeah. And then on the next gig, play, a Willie Nelson song mm -hmm. and play it like it should be played, you yeah. know, or on the next tune, go to a blues gig and do it, you know, yeah. and not play too much, but just, yeah. you know, just lay down the thing or play a one chord funk tune and, you know, don't get too busy and stay on, you know, hit the one like Bootsy, you know, that kind of, I wanted to be able to do all of that because I loved hearing all of that. Yeah. So that, whatever, that, that's, that's that's what I do. I try to like hear what's going on in the music, especially and what role the bass is playing here, and what can I learn from that. And then now it's filter it through me because that felt that's there, yeah. that's established. I'm I'm I play the way I play. Yeah. Um, but it's always like looking to see how can I either sound close to that or do something that has my personality in it as well. In the same way that people I admire did it, like Charlie Hayden could play in any context, mm -hmm. and he'd always fit, but it always sounded like him. Yeah, you know, okay. Anthony Jackson could play in any context, mm -hmm. but it always sounded like him, and it was always musical. Yeah, 
And, and uh, then the thing is, the more I started working with people like, you know, um, who were like songwriters, I started later on, you know, I started I'd play with different songwriters and that kind of yeah, stuff. Like and it's like, and it got me back to the whole thing, like Gordon, what happens in a Gordon Lightfoot song? How mm-hmm. does, how does Rick Haynes play behind a guy's song as yeah. opposed to a jazz tune? Yes. Well, you do this. You do this with your hands instead of this. You go for this kind of sound instead of this kind of sound. You go for the notes are shaped a little bit differently here. There's more space over here. Yeah. And I, and I, I try to do that and yeah. bring that, you know, uh, to, to those contexts. Um, from the mid 80s all the way through, um, like, um, you know, from the early 80s all the way through the 90s, I was also working a ton of weddings. Okay. Because that's where the money was. Yes. Yeah. And I had two kids and it was, you know, and I was a teacher in a Catholic school. So. Yeah. needed to do that. Yeah. So I played a ton of weddings with great musicians and it was 80s. So I played 80s dance music. You know, yeah. I sang Susudio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, it, you know, I, you know, I was in a band, one wedding band I was in for a number of years, specialized in the guy before me, the bass player before me was a great singer and a great harmony singer. So they, they used to do a lot of Manhattan transfer stuff. Oh, okay. So in order to get the gig, I had to learn those vocal parts yeah. as well as playing wow, what they okay. played. In addition to all, you know, wham, I had to learn wham tunes yeah, yeah, because yeah. that was the gig. And, exactly. and, and you just learned to do it. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. I later on, a few late years later, I, you know, I brought a whole rig and played synth bass right. for the 80s dance tunes that we did. Wow, you know, okay. with a little keyboard and and you know, triggering a bunch of you know modules and you know these big fat bass sounds because yeah. that's what you needed. Yeah, that's what you needed to do. You know. Yeah. And I wore the tuxedos and I you know uh, you know I had never home on weekends. Yeah. You know, like Friday, two on Saturday, maybe two on Sunday. You know, yeah. there were years where like a co- at least three years where I was for the whole month of December I was not home one night because of Christmas parties. Every oh, okay. single night, so we worked a ton. Yeah, but after like trade-off, fifteen yeah. years of doing yeah. that, by mid nineties, I kind of had it. Yeah, and I just had to stop. Yeah, because it had gotten to the point where I didn't want to play. I didn't want to touch the instrument anymore. Wow. Yeah. As I, I, I said to one leader when I quit, I said, "Yeah, I definitely appreciate the work." Yeah, I said, but this is is this feels like a factory job with with a tuxedo on. Yeah, it was um, you know, it had gotten to the point where I didn't even feel like I was playing music. Yeah, and I needed to get back to that, and then I started freelancing and playing with different people. Still kept the tux because you know, yeah, no, yeah, <laughs> they yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Um but just started branching out and playing like a little bit more R and B and things, and with songwriters. Yeah, um, how did you get? connected with the different people was it just your uh well there or there was uh the r&b connection came through a good friend tony madeiras who had a band called the chili brothers yeah okay and um he uh, I, I got to be in that band after after uh, the guy that was in it had left Tony was kind of reforming it i got played a lot with him mm-hmm. and uh he he was connected to rick dango and the guys in the band because of his his friendship with those guys so mm-hmm. i heard a lot about that stuff and we actually got to play behind rick dango one time wow. tony brought him into town yeah. not long before his death but uh 
we did get to play with one of my bass heroes yeah. at the time. And so him, and we did a bunch of gigs to, with Tony and that band, and then backing up different singers. And then, I forget how the connection came, but uh, um, it was through Marianne Rossoni, yeah. who's an illustrator, you know, painter, and great songwriter. Yeah. And she started, she was doing some gigs with kind of, you know, she wanted to put together a band to play some of her stuff, and I wound up getting into that with some, some other people we knew. And it got me back to that thing of like, you know, play the song. Yeah. You know, cut. don't play so much. You don't have to play. And usually the rehearsals where we have less bass. You know, it's yeah, too okay. busy. All right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I get it. And then I finally got it. All right. You know, in my mind, it's like, what is, what is, what, what, what is the Gordon Lightfoot record sound yeah. like? And then I started playing them like that. And it was like, that's what yeah. works. And, and I re rediscovered like what a blast it was to play songs, yeah. to play good songs that told a story yeah. and just play your part and support them. the other side of the coin i'm still playing with more jazz guys and you know yeah and and getting involved in you know in in different situations there was a, an original band i played with with um guitar player writer steve DeConti, who's living in south county now mm -hmm. great writer and it was guitar bass drums and vibes and did a whole bunch of original music yeah that came out of pat metheny and gary yeah, burton okay. and uh learned a lot there about like how to you know read better and uh -huh. how to interpret people's, you know, writings that weren't traditional. Yeah. You know? And uh, there was some free playing. There was some free improvisation yeah, in that you band, too. Your own stuff too. So I got to get well. to yeah, get into yeah. that. So um, it, it, that was going on while this other stuff was going on. So there were the three, the three tracks, like the songwriter, rootsy kind of stuff. Yeah. The weddings and then the sessions with jazz guys. Yeah. And and then I just started liking freelancing, so I just made myself, you know, put myself out there, and you know, just gradually people, somebody would try me. And, oh, okay, well, yeah, well, or they referred me to somebody else. Hey, I heard you play with uh, so and so. Can you can you do this gig? Yeah. And at first, I was reluctant, you know, a little reluctant to take some of the gigs that I wasn't familiar with. After a while, I just said, "The hell!" It's yeah. not that I took every gig. I'm not a great sight reader, so you know when guys would call me up, uh, the big band needs us up. No, I can't do that. Yeah, okay. I know I, that's not my strength. Yeah, and I wouldn't do that. But um, I play in a small group with some of those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I remember. I don't even know who you were playing with, but it just like comes to mind. I just like ran into you. you're playing at Aspire. 
Oh, all right. Yeah, that's a that's a whole other chapter. But. Yeah, yeah. But just you know, just seeing you, it just seems that it's like, oh, yeah, just you know, Joe's just you know, just playing with 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 everyone. You know? That gig, you know, but. that gig fell into my lap in I think probably two thousand eight, something like that. Yeah. Um, my daughter had a job working in the office at Hotel Providence. Okay. And like kind of right next door, right? She asked me. Um, she said some one day. She called me up and said, can you come in and have a breakfast meeting with the man, the general manager? He's thinking about having jazz here. Okay, yeah. So I went, all right. I did nothing, you know, didn't know what to expect. So I went in, and the guy already had the table cards printed up. <laughs> Friday jazz. With the, what? Yeah. And, and, he, and, he, and he, we talked for a good long time, and because it was a hotel bar. Yeah, okay. My first question was, do you want background music or do you want real jazz? Yeah. I said, because it, it really makes a difference what yes, we'll do. I yeah. said, I can do, I could do both of them. He said, oh, no, no, no. We don't want background. We really want to feature the music. Because they had an outside courtyard. And, yeah. and so I said, okay. What I think one thing we won't do is when I'm not going to bring in people who will blow the roof off the place and alienate your customers. Yeah. I said, but... If you don't want background music, then what you're going to get is music. I can I can contact some good players, and we will play without blowing your customers away. But if you're going to feature it, I want the room to you know to, to know that they're there to listen. He said yes. that's how we want to promote it. Yeah, I said okay. Yeah, and then he asked me who's the band. And I said I don't have a band. Um, and for a minute, I contemplated forming a regular house trio with a different guest every week. But I thought, no, you know what? I said, not going to do that. I said, I'm going to put together a different, an entirely different band every single week with a different featured artist. Wow. Yeah. And I knew there were people I could call. Yeah. So when he said, okay, start in a few weeks. Yeah. <laughs> I went, oh. So I went home and I just started calling people. You said you're doing this thing. And yeah. <laughs> I would start with like, who would the featured person be? And then I would ask like, who do you like to play to play with? Mm -hmm. If it's a singer, who's your favorite piano player? If it's a horn player, you know, who do you like on drums? That kind of stuff. I'll get them, you know? Yeah. And after a few weeks of doing that, when people saw it was becoming a regular thing, now all of a sudden I'm everybody's best buddy. It's like, oh, hey man, yeah. you gotta, you need, you need somebody for, you know, um, and oh, it, cool. and I was able to get people in there that I, you know, I, I almost had no business playing with. Really? Okay. You know, like you know, to get Greg Abate in there to play a, on a Friday night in a hotel bar. You know, I even asked, he came to hear somebody else one night. Yeah. And I, and I said, I mean, he knew my brother and I knew him from around the area. And I off the cuff said, Greg, you wouldn't want to do this gig sometime, would you? Thinking that he'd go, oh, you know, I'd probably, you know, I got things rogue. He goes, yeah, I'd love to do it. And I went, oh, shit. So, yeah. so now, again, very happy that it's going to happen, but also scared to death that now I have to play. <laughs> Yes, oh, right. Yeah, with Greg. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, okay, who do you like on drums? And he got a great drummer and a great piano player. So I would call him up. Good, let's go. And then, then you know, and then you come in with like a few charts of new tunes that, and, wow. you know, and the tempos are up there. And, you know, but again, back in the deep end. Yeah. And, you know, it would be people like that singers I had never worked with that somebody else would recommend. 
You know, so-and-so said, I said, Claudia, oh, yeah, I'd love to do it. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've got my own book. I'll bring my, you know, so now they have a book, and it's time to play, and I, they're calling tunes, and i got to read, read, read their book down. Wow, yeah. You know, or um, it'll be people that I know, but I'll do, like, different, you know, combinations of people. Like that, that, That's how I met Gino Rosati. Really? Piano player had, got sick not long before the, you know, the gig, the day before the gig, and I needed somebody. Couldn't find a piano player. But I had met Gino after he had gotten out of the Navy yeah. uh, at, a, at a session in Newport. So I called him up, and oh, he, played, okay. he played the gig. I think it was behind Tish Adams. Yeah. And at the end of the first set, my wife comes over and goes, get this, keep this guy's number. Yeah, okay. <laughs> because, and, and we knew. It was like, yep. Yeah, yeah he, no, we, so you could tell he was, he was something special, you know. Mm-hmm. And we wound up doing a whole bunch of gigs together as a result of that. So I formed a lot of, like, you know, bonds with people through that seven years on that gig of every week yeah you know um and still work with you know with some of them here and there got you know work with a few people who like all right they're on that gig for once but it was great to play with uh like say um um bob gulati the great drummer bob gulati who just died a couple of years ago from boston played with the fringe for years wow yeah played you know uh, incredible musician great teacher yeah you know and Deborah Mann, again, rest her soul, he's, she, she's gone too. Great singer, great, really great book. She had Bob Gulati on the gig, so I got to play with Bob Gulati. Yeah. You know, again, I had no business playing with Bob Gulati, <laughs> but he was just a blast to play with. Michael yeah. Renzi, who, again, who yeah. like we lost a couple of years ago, great yeah. piano player, um, came down to play with uh, his old buddy, Ted Kasher. Mm-hmm. Great saxophonist. Oh, yeah. he's, he's a, Ted was like, "Oh, let's get Mike Renzi." Uh, okay, and now I'm playing with Mike Renzi, who's forgotten more music than I could ever learn. Yes, yeah. yeah, and he's a great accompanist. He knows all the right chords, and you know, yeah. and you know, uh, uh, and I'm just learning. It's like going to grad school playing with him. Yeah, you know. But then these guys would, you know, yeah, sounds good. You know, Ted Ted Casher who had a voice, a big booming voice, like I was like, "Yeah, Joe." Uh, I like that forward-moving directionality you got there. It's, it's like, <laughs> and to have somebody like that say yes. that they dig what I'm doing yeah. is, like, you know, that, again, more encouragement. Yeah, yeah. And it should be mentioned that some guys of that generation took a very different approach to young players. Really? Like, they would haze them. They would bust them. Yeah, they would like, give them a hard time. They would try to play tempos to mess them up, or yeah. call, call, you know, call a standard in a in a, a weird, a different key just to mess you up. Yeah, and then laugh, yeah. you know, and like, and yeah, I've never understood helpful. how that's yeah. doing anyone any good. These guys were all encouraging. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, one guy, one guy who was very encouraging was Ed Tomasi, legendary teacher at Berkeley, mm-hmm. and he was on the gig a few times. And even before that, in the early 80s, I would do sessions with him, and he would be very encouraging. Yeah. And Ed could be a real hard-ass sometimes on his students, yeah. real demanding. But he was, like, as supportive as you could possibly be. I'd mess up. I'd turn around the time in a session. And go, oh, that's good. That's cool. Let's try it again. Yeah, you're good. You're good. Yeah. And, and like, yeah, that's sounding good. now. So yeah. shaming you or whatever. You know, just yeah, just really you know, making you feel comfortable and pulling you up by the scruff of your neck at the same time yeah. by not cutting you any slack. So it was, I was very fortunate to fall in with those with those guys at yeah. a number of different points. Yeah, you know, um, it it makes all the difference because I you know I I've heard and actually seen 
people do the other, go the other way with young musicians. And it's like, what's the point? Yeah. You know, this isn't it. You're not a drill sergeant. You know, yeah. like, are you, do you win somehow? Are you are you the winner now because you shame this young guy? Yeah. Because he couldn't quite, you know, yeah. Yeah. But uh, by the same token, though, I learned basically what I learned the old school way on the bandstand. Yeah. You know, here we go. Here's the hit one, two, three, ready, go. You know. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's that. I like that now. Yeah. There's a lot. To I like it. It. You know? it still scares me, but <laughs> I like no, it. But, yeah. But that's that's what that's what's kept it interesting for me. Is is like mm-hmm. like you know what you know. Let's see what this is going to be, and that's that's what Evening Sky was about too. Was yeah. Like, yeah, we had no idea what that band was going to sound like. Yeah, when we we knew all the players were you know were interesting. Yeah, but we we got together. We were just kind of looking at each other like prom date, like dates at the school dance. Like, well, what do you want to do? <laughs> yeah, and like kind of everybody on their own wall, you know. Yeah. Till someone finally wanted to dance, and we tried different songs, and some yeah. of them worked. Let's try this one. Nah, that doesn't quite work. Yeah. You know? But then when we found the sound of that band, we all we all knew we were in different territory too. We all knew we had to play take a different approach to our instrument, slightly different approach than what we were used to doing. Yeah. yeah. And everybody sensed that. Everybody said that. Yeah. And once we got that all op- out in the open and realized it was going to sound like this, that it wasn't going to sound like a bebop band, Yeah. you know, uh, or just like Pat Metheny or anything like that, it was like, okay. Then we were able, we kind of had more of the time and then the pandemic gave us lots of time to uh-huh. find our sound. Yeah. But I like that, you know. I used to be afraid when Gina would bring in a new tune. Now I like it. Yeah. Right? Well, just I mean, it seems like it must be, um, uh, it, like it could be a, a surprise at, at any time. That just because, yeah. like the, you know, it, it, maybe it's overused, but like just Evening Sky has a, a pretty unique sound just by pulling in all of these different styles. And and yep. you're like, yeah, you're. We're, I mean, we'd love to talk about the new stuff, but you're, you know did a reworking of a Robert Plant song you've done, you know, uh, yeah. what did you did like on the road again? You've, is that, yep. uh, you know, and, so and it's actually like, both of you're those. just like pulling all of these yeah. other songs and obviously writing original things that, yep. that Gino is, is pulling in or that you're writing or whatever. Both of but, those you know. covers that you mentioned too, funny you should mention it, uh, were the concept for both of those and the arrangement came from the drummer. Yeah. It was Eric. Eric. Yeah. Eric is like really good at, Oh, let's try it like this. Yeah. Let's. What, what, what if we did it like this? What if we use this groove instead? Yeah. And he did that early on with "On the Road Again," and then um, with the Robert Plant tune that's on the Eden Castile album. Yeah. He completely pulled that tune apart and reconstructed it. Yeah. And recorded the drum part by himself. Okay. To a click, with the arrangement in his head, the way he had written. Out. Then he wrote out the chart for us. Then he sent us the drum track and took the orig- samples from the original tune and cut and pasted them onto the drum, drum part where he wanted oh, okay. the section of the tune. The tune starts with the bridge in Eric's arrangement. So he cut oh. and pasted from the original yeah, so and the made a blueprint for yeah. us and then said, here's the chart. I already got my drum part recorded. You guys got to come in and put your parts on. Yeah. <laughs> and then he sent it to Eden, and I think she was on the road somewhere and, uh, like, and driving. Now I got to learn this tune this way. Yes. And, uh, you know, everybody just you know, every, was of the same mind. Yeah, let's, let's, let's try it. When we yeah. first heard the tune, the, the title, it's like, no, oh, we're going to do that tune because that's so 90s in my head, you know? Okay. Yeah, like, yeah. But then when I heard the concept, I thought, 
Yep, I get yeah. what he. I can absolutely see what he what 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 is what his concept was. Yeah, and he's done that a number of times. Yeah, that's why he's a, he was exactly the right guy for this band. Yeah, you know, I can't almost think of anybody else around here that would be as ideal for making that band sound the way it, the way it sounds. Yeah, yeah, you know, and he does it even live in the moment. Yeah, you know, when we're improvising, you know, he's, he's he his no. back. No one has a bigger snare drum either. Oh yeah, <laughs> we actually got he actually got yet another deep snare. He's got two deep yeah, snares. I have now. like an old like uh, uh, like marching snare that I yep. use at times, but it's like half the size of what he plays on a regular basis. You know? Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. He got another one that's slightly slightly yeah. uh, l- less deep, but it but it still has that sa- that similar kind of sound. Yeah, we dubbed that sound because we were listening to it on uh, uh, one of the playbacks, and it has that. That snare yeah. snap to it, but it's also got like a some depth to it. Yes, yeah. That like like almost like Levon Helms thing, but but even even a little bit, you know. Yeah. Down and I I, I dubbed it. It's the deep slap. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. just kind of got this, but underneath it there's there's a big pad underneath it, you know. Yeah. And it's it's a big part of the sound of the band. Yeah. You know, and yeah. and the the way and the way he plays grooves. And the way he varies things, the way he improvises, yeah, he direct he he has a lot to do with the direction that that band takes over the course of a tune. You know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I just listen to him. Yeah, I just listen to what he's doing. That's cool. As we're developing a thing, and it's like, oh, well, let's try that. All right, let's try this, and then I might have an idea. What if we did this a little bit differently instead? You know. Meanwhile, Gino and Chris are trying to learn their parts, mm-hmm. and we're <laughs> and we're kind of structuring the bottom part of the, of the yeah. song. Yeah. Yeah. But it it works like that a lot. He has a huge influence over the way this band sounds. Yeah, that's cool. And I, I can't think of another guy that would be any you know would be better for it. Yeah, nice. Um, the secret sauce, Chris Brooks. Yep. Chris Brooks kind of constantly surprises all of us. Yeah. Not just because of his musical background, which is really extensive, but because, and, and I think all this other stuff has an effect on his musical background, he's lived an incredible life. Okay. He's well-traveled. He speaks, I don't know how many languages. Oh, really? He's very knowledgeable. He taught English for, you know, for years. He's, you know, in, when he was young, he was on the West Coast and traveling with, um, uh, like, uh, like, uh, I forget. I forget what the guy, the guy had like a hit record out and Chris was traveling. He's done tours, goodwill tours for the State Department in the Middle East. Wow. He plays really, he's a really good guitar player in addition to playing pedal steel, plays some saxophone. He knows trombone. Yeah. He, he knows the guy is, is a real Renaissance man. Yeah. And he's very quiet, but I think all of that has an effect on what he brings to the band. Yeah. You know? He's he's not a bebopper. None of us is. Yeah, but he's he's constantly surprising us with what he plays. It's interesting, and it you definitely. you can yeah. definitely tell that this guy could you can put this guy on a country gig or a western swing gig, which yes. he does every yeah. every month at the parlor, and he's gonna play the stuff. Yeah, he's gonna like he's gonna play the right stuff, yeah, you know. Exactly. Yeah, but. You put a Thelonious Monk tune in front of him, yeah. and he might wrinkle his head for a long time, and I'm going to need some time with this, but he will come up with something there. Yeah. You know, you, pl- you put, like, an original tune in front of him that has some, you know, he will figure out something to do 
that is totally Chris and definitely sounds like a pedal steel guitar, but not at all where you would expect it. Yeah. So he's like the secret sauce, and the you know that's he's he really is the secret ingredient. Yeah. Yeah. You know, almost to the point where like I. I, I find myself more and more as the band develop. I, I keep thinking I got to play less. I got to play less and less. We need fewer bass solos. I need to, you know, because the sound of the band is the grooves that Eric comes up with, and Gino laughs when I say that. The two when I say this, the two guitars dancing with each other. Yep. You know, like uh, the, that's like the sound of the band. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you know, being a good bass player in that in that situation okay. means. You lay it in, you, yeah. you work with the drummer, you leave a lot of space. Yeah. You, know, you don't necessarily have to take a lot of solos because we don't need them. Yeah. And we're playing songs. We're not playing jams. Yep. So they don't have to be long. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Not smart. Yeah. It's, so it, that. That's, that would be the one thing, that the sound of the band, the role that, that Chris plays in that, and, and, I think, and I think it comes from him being such a renaissance man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Because like no, no, his other other people who know who know Chris, that guy. Oh man, wow, what an incredible musician! You know, like you know, mm-hmm. and you know, not just oh, he's a cool steel player, and he is. He goes all that stuff, and he will tell you all about it. Yeah, but there's a whole lot more behind what he does. Yeah, that people don't see. Yeah, and he, he's he's really a, an amazing human being. Definitely he's got a great, incredible background. Nice. Yeah, it seems like it's also just a fun band to. Oh, it's play it's a blast. Yeah, know, like Gino's not only hilarious. Just the music that you get to make, but just yeah, you guys have a great relationship and. Uh, yeah, everybody's on the same page with everything. It was, you know, we had to like talk through some things, and the more we worked on things, it became clear. You know, like some of the things that I thought, oh, we should do that. Like, no, nah, we don't need to do that. You know, so um, uh, Gino's really enthusiastic about this band and he's not a he, he doesn't get enthusiastic about a lot of things but uh, <laughs> he's, he's been on lately yeah, you know yeah. but uh, like he's he said this is the, one of the best bands he's ever been in wow cool yeah good, um, good bands and he's he's not free with compliments either <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. so it's so it, that's, that's that means more good. yeah it does it yeah. does I mean, I'd love to talk about the new record with, with yeah. Eden. This is the the newest installment in your Plus One series. Yeah. You know? So for those that aren't familiar, Evening Sky, um, you know, Joe kind of just touched upon it of like the COVID time was, uh, you know, they, they made the best silver lining of did a lot of recording that time. So there's, you know, even in the short time that you've been a band you have a lot of uh releases singles albums nothing Um, but you've done several of these other plus one series you know with ben shaw and some other stuff but uh but yeah this how did this one come together with 
Well, we had done we had done the, the the one with Ben. Ben wrote some stuff for us. Gino wrote some stuff for. Uh, then we um, uh, we had done one with uh, a friend of ours, Leland Brown, who yeah. was a former Rhode Islander and now is a part time Floridian, part time Laura at Rhode Islander, and um, uh, it was a, it was some some jazz stuff and some country stuff. We did a tune by the band with him. Yep. Then uh, Tish Adams has been you know a friend of the band for you know all of us. Gino and I have done a ton of gigs with Tish. Yep. So uh, last winter, you know, I think maybe before that, it's time is being compressed. But uh, we started to develop some tunes with her. Yeah. And uh, again, because of Eric Hastings, he he stated out front. Tish is known as being a straight-ahead jazz singer. Mm-hmm. And he said, we're not going to do any straight-ahead jazz grooves on this record, yeah. no matter what tunes we do. Yeah. And we did some of Tish's regular material, but we completely we like rearranged it. it and then she she thought up the idea of doing the police tune, Murder by Numbers, and I oh, brought yeah, in a yeah, Joe yeah. Henry tune, yeah. and um, she did a Bill Withers tune. You know, so, so it became something different. So, And the thing is, as we're doing that, we're realizing that over the course of an album, we can play this kind of like Latin rock groove behind the Joe Henry song or this groove that, that uh, Eric adapted from um, uh, from Stuart Copeland for the police yeah, tune okay. or, a, or a jazz ballad or something like that and still sound like the same band. So then um, we started to think of other people that we could record with. Yeah, uh, we had done a couple of singles with Michelle Hill that sounded great. Some R and B covers. Yeah, and in the meantime, I had uh, uh, we had Gino and I, and 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 actually Eric had cut, you know met I think through the, maybe playing at the Pump House because it's in Wakefield yeah. had met Eden Castile, who is a, a great singer, voice coach, uh, a trained coloratura soprano. Okay. Uh, cabaret singer, you know, and a really talented piano player. And um, I think she hired us to play some workshops behind her voice students okay. so that they could get experience playing, in, you know, in a band because they, you know, they maybe hadn't sung with a band before. So she would involve us in those. And then a couple of her students uh, had developed um, some sh- solo cabaret shows and she hired us to be part of the band for that so we started to work with her a little bit more and saw what she could do and then the idea came up why don't we do an album with Eden and yeah. she, we proposed it to her she said yeah I'd love to so then we started talking about what tunes you know we want to do Everybody, we had some suggestions and stuff and um, because of her range uh, her musical range um, I think she had sat in with us once and done uh, Blue Bayou, the Linda Ronstadt cover of Roy Orbison's tune. Okay, And, yeah, and yeah. she sounded great, like, you know, doing the Linda Ronstadt, you know, big belt at the end. Yeah. And, uh, you know, not at all like a, like a classical soprano, but yes, just like yeah. a great, you know, pop singer with 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 pipes. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, you know, all right, well, that's got to be on the album. And then we started kicking around other ideas, um, uh it was before Gordon Lightfoot died that the idea to do "If You Could Read My Mind" came up, mm-hmm. and again, that in my mind that takes me back to the time when I was dating my wife and listening to Gordon Lightfoot for the first time and realizing yeah. what great music that was. Cool. So that went on there. Um, I proposed. There's a great ballad by Michelle Legrand called "You Must Believe in Spring." 
that uh, was a, one of the great versions of it is Tony Bennett with Bill Evans, just a duo. And okay. it's just a gorgeous, heart-rending song. And it's yeah. a jazz song, but it's not like a straight-ahead jazz song. It's a ballad. So we worked that up. Yeah. And a lot of that is just voice and guitar with the band coming in on occasion. Um, but that went on there. Um, we, I had heard, uh, I forget who it was. It might have been me and somebody else suggested the, the Jimmy Webb song, uh, the Moon is a Harsh Mistress. Jimmy Webb wrote Wichita Lineman mm-hmm. and um, Galveston and and, yeah, and, okay. uh, and also MacArthur Park. He wrote that one. Yeah. So he was like quintessential 60s, you know, sophisticated pop songs. There's one of his that Glenn Campbell recorded called The Moon is a Harsh Mistress that's really, really beautiful song. So we worked up an arrangement of that, and she yeah. sounds great singing that. Uh, we do, we're doing uh, to, for something up. We did uh, the tune by Dan Hicks and his hot licks called The Walking One and Only. Okay. Yeah, you know, like, you know, he clicks his heels a bit. His suit's a perfect fit. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> cool. Know? And, and she sings that. Um, uh, what else is on there? Um, oh, we, uh, a good friend of Eric's is one of the pit musicians in the Broadway musical Hades Town. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, he plays trombone and he's actually come to. Rhode Island a couple yeah, of times and to hang out. We play like, with yeah. him. Brian Dry is a great musician. And his part on stage is very integral to the play. Um, so I, I was fascinated with somebody else that I knew had played me some of the stuff from Hades Town. Yeah. And I'm not a big big Broadway musical guy, but we actually went to see the show when it played here in, in March and loved it. And um there's a song that starts the second act where Persephone is in is held captive in the underworld by Hades. Okay, yeah, yeah. And on the slide, she's operating a, a speakeasy. And yeah. what she does in the speakeasy, besides she 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 also gives uh, the the inhabitants of the underground a chance to see a little little bits of the outside world okay, yeah. that they missed. So it's her talking about. It's called Our Lady the Un- of the Underground, and uh, some of it's spoken word and acting, and yeah. then it's some of it's singing. So I knew it would be perfect for Eden, for somebody with her background. Yep. And it's her being very sly about like, um, I got uh, I, I got the moon right here in the jar. I got the I got the rain on tap at the bar. Um, I got the sunshine up on the shelf. Allow me to introduce myself, <laughs> and then uh, it's it's Persephone, you know, giving everybody a, a hint of what they what they you know miss about the world, but mm-hmm. the groove is just this nasty slow funk tune. Yeah, and uh, it's like a, a slinky bass line that's played by yeah. an upright bass. So, um, so we adapted it. You know, and put the steel, you know, had the steel playing some of the trombone parts and stuff like yeah. that. And, uh, and Gino playing like a kind of like gypsy style, old jazz rhythm guitar, like what yeah. notes on that. And uh, Eden just does her thing. And she, you know, the yeah. actress part of her yeah. know, play, plays that part. Cool. And it's a, it's, 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 it's a vampy kind of a tune, but man, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's got a nasty groove. Yeah. So we did that. Um, and there's another, um, there's a Roseanne Cash tune that she she covered, uh, the Sea of Heartbreak. Yeah. But again, Eric rearranged it so it doesn't sound quite like what the original, the original yeah. does. Yeah. Um, 
there's a few others. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to, I can't yeah. think of all the tunes right now, but, uh, what's it um, like working with all of these different people? And yeah, more specifically with Ian, like how, what is the process for that? Like, are you, we'll figure, um, yeah, like we'll getting them in, uh, like during regular practice sessions and working on these songs or the, are you guys creating and then, well, when usually it will be added it, in or if it know? comes up as an idea, like who would be good to record to, we'll float the idea by that person. And if they're into it, it's like, okay, great. Let's meet yeah. and talk about what, we might do and bring ideas. Yeah. So we'll have a, you know, a meeting with that person, maybe play a little bit, but talk a lot. And like what in usually, yeah, it's always someone who already knows what the band is yes. about. Yeah. Like you know, probably perform um, or whatever. So, um, I think in one case we, you know, uh, of something that's recorded in the can with John McKenna, John is a great tenor player, and uh, he's played with Gino and me. But we, we sent him, here's, here's what the band sounds like. Yeah. Think about it. And yeah. he was like, yeah, I'm down. Like, but his thing came out sounding very differently. So it all starts with that first you know, conversation about what, what kind of things will we like to do? Ideas will be get tossed around. All right, let's try this. Can we try a little bit of this song? And just to see how, we, how it is working with the, that yeah, the guest. Yeah, does it click? Does it not? Get, you know, feel each other out. Um, and then more ideas will come up about um, we could do this one, or somebody will say, "Hey, maybe it would be cool if we tried this one." What yeah. about this? And some of them, eh, no, that's not going to work. Uh, so others, yeah, I'm not crazy about that tune. Others, like, wow, I've never heard that, but that's a great idea. Yeah. Let's try that. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's that. That goes back and forth, and then we'll try them at rehearsal. You know, we'll get together again. And when it seems like this, like we've got a, you know, some material that we know work, then we'll start working on what the arrangement's going to be like. Yeah. And what, you know, what's the right key? If it's a singer, uh, if it's, if it's like an original that somebody else brought in, like Ben brought in some original, you know, how are we going to play this tune? Yeah. You know, and sometimes we'll even make changes to, you know, to the, to the tune to, you know, to make everything fit better. Yeah. And then once we, it looks like we got an arrangement, then we'll you know play it a few times, maybe do another couple of rehearsals, and and at some point say, all right, when will we be ready to record this stuff? Mm-hmm. Set a target date, and work toward that. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes we'll do it all live, but when you have a horn or a singer in the small space, we got to be careful of bleeding. Yeah. So sometimes we have to do it with like a small scratch vocal, record the basic track, get that right. And then have the yeah. singer come in where there's no bleed, or the horn player, and, and put other parts on there. But it depends. Uh, it depends on you know who the guest is and what the recording, you know, the the configuration has to be. And we we figure that out as we go. Yeah. Okay. Um, and sometimes the the arrangements evolve, you know, and change in, in that in the rehearsal process. But it's always a give and take, and it's like. You know, we try not to like, you know, impose things on the guests, but we make suggestions. Mm-hmm. Hey, have you ever heard this? Like, Tish had never heard of Joe Henry. Okay. Yeah, uh, he's a, he a great, tremendous. I love his songwriting. He's a yeah. great producer. And I, I said, Hey, Tish, this might sound like you. All mm-hmm. right. And I said, Don't, don't, don't get put up by the instrumentation or whatever. And she listened to it because it's Mark Rebo on guitar. So it's this real dissonant kind of guitar okay, yeah. over this Latin rock groove. And she heard it. And she went, you know, I think I could. Yeah, I think I could hear that. Yeah. You know. And as it turned out, that that tune was also recorded by Madonna. Oh, okay. Who's Joe Henry's sister-in-law? <laughs> really? 
Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. All right. <laughs> He's married to her sister, and she took this tune called Stop, which is like this kind of very dark, like wow, you know, okay. tango, tangoish kind of thing, and turned it into another pop song that yep. really isn't that great. But uh, she had a hit with it and made him some money. Yeah, but uh, we, you know, Tish said we won't do the Madonna version, no, but I love yeah, the yeah. Joe Henry version. <laughs> and we, you know, again, Eric did his take on uh, on the recording. It's drums and timbales and stuff like that, and and maybe two drum sets recorded. Eric adapted and you know, it came up with a groove that works, you know, yeah. and and drives the thing ahead. And uh, so Tish wound up doing a Joe Henry song. Nice, that's cool. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's uh, and it was the same thing with the. Uh, um, oh, Eden had heard "You Must Believe in Spring" spring before. She was familiar with it. She's uh, she actually, when we suggested it, she immediately sent me a transcription of a Bill Evans version of it. Okay. <laughs> you mean this version? I was like, yeah. no, not this version. Yeah, <laughs> it's like right. really complex and stuff like that. But again, it's her background. She she yeah. knew. Yeah, you know, and you know, uh, so she knew the song. But I said, "Let's you know, let's listen to a few different versions of it." And we we worked with it for a while. Found the right key. Mm-hmm. Found out that you know, all the intro is her and and guitar. And say it works better if we if the rhythm section comes out in this for this verse, and then yeah. we'll come back in after this verse. So it really changes There's a lot of dy- dynamic changes and instrumentation, like you know, stops and starts uh, in the middle of it. But we wound up with a version of it that's just like it, it's it's heartbreaking. It's, it's gorgeous. There's one. Oh my God! The third verse. When uh, was it? When angry words drown out the the music of the spheres, and children face a world that's far beyond their years. Yeah, yeah. and the whole thing comes like you must believe in spring and love. You know, mm-hmm. like that. But I mean, those lines, right? Yeah, I, I remember when I heard them in the playback. I was like, "Choked <laughs> up," you know. Be strong. Oh my God! It was, you know, uh, uh, I mean, especially really any time. Children, yeah. The deadline: children face a world that's far beyond their years. Oh, we, yeah. Um, but it's different. It's a different thing for us to do a ballad like that, you know, and uh, play it almost like a jazz ballad, but not quite. background to all of that we were also recording another plus one with uh chromatic harmonica player ralph rosen 
okay. you know, from Boston who's plays chromatic harmonica and then also blues harp as well. Wow. Uh, he's an old friend of mine. He used to play the hotel series once in a while. Yeah. And um, he, uh, we asked him, hey, would you be interested? We yeah. sent him some tracks. I'd love to. I'd love to. He came down and sat in with us once. He'd love to. Gino wrote seven or eight new pieces for him. Wow. So the whole album is, is all like new compositions by Gino because he heard that sound. Yeah. You know? And that's kind of cool. very kind of dark, kind of atmospheric sounding yeah, stuff. Like and then there's uh, there's one tune that uh, there's a few like funk. There's a couple of funk things that almost sound like little feetish. Yeah. And then there's one tune that Gino wrote that uh, we wanted it to sound like a '70s sitcom theme. Eric, we played through it a couple yeah. of times, and Eric like said, that was I hear Quincy Jones. Yeah, like you were. <laughs> I, hear, I hear a Quincy Jones thing for this. Yeah. So he said, let's not play it like jazz guys. Let's do it as if we're recording, you know, doing a, like a, you a know, any other. And Eric actually came up with an arrangement. During this section of the tune, play this line. During yeah. this, Gino, play this, you know. And, um, and it works, and it sounds like something that could be, you know, and because it's got the harmonica and it reminded me of the Sanford and Son theme. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. You know? So I, I, I suggested the title. I said, let's, let's, let's give a shout-out to Lamont, um, Lamont Sanford and call it Lamont's Revenge. Oh, yeah, Because yeah. Lamont took a lot of crap from Fred. Yeah, yeah, I said, yeah. like, this will be Lamont's Revenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's Lamont's Revenge. Nice. And it's a three-minute, you know, yeah. pop tune that could be a sitcom theme. Wow. But it's there, you That's know. That's cool. Um, you guys got to do some cool stuff. Then there's um, <laughs> also in parallel to that, we had Gino had contacted our buddy John McKenna, who's a great tenor sax player. Yeah, studied with Joe Lovano and had played with John Allmark's big band. He's just a great tenor player. Yeah, and asked if he might want to be involved in something. So he said yes. He brought a couple of tunes that he wrote. Yeah, and Gino wrote some stuff. Sound totally different than the, the other stuff that we're recording. It sounds almost like a John Schofield, Joe Lovano album. Okay. And almost, it actually sounds like a jazz album. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, like a naughty modern jazz album, you know? All right. Um, where like Eric has to play like, you know, and, oh, yeah. and I have to play fast walking lines and, you know, that kind of stuff. And Gino wrote chords that no one can figure out how to play. <laughs> but it's, it's definitely like a more complex jazz sound. Mm hmm. As opposed to what we were doing before, but it's still the band's sound. Yeah, it still sounds like us. Yeah, so that's in the can. That's that's going to be eventually mastered. Nice. Yeah, you guys stay busy. It's nice, and then yeah. we we try. We actually put out the word every once in a while that the band in the studio can be hired. So okay. if someone has a project that they want to record, or a demo, or a tune, or or like songs that they want to record, or something like that. They can hire us and the studio and the recording. Oh, okay. Uh, like if you're and, just a songwriter yeah. and you want to Yeah, something. and we've actually had a few people that, you know, are interested that we've been working with. That's great. And it's, it's time to put the word out again. You know, just yeah. Because like, why not? Yeah. Why not? We've yeah. got the studio with the time. If someone wants to think, here's what we do and thinks that, you know, it could work in, in there for, for their material, yeah. whatever they want to use it for, we'll do it. Yeah. yeah, you guys just have the Hire us, like, yeah. pedigree to just be able to, to do Yeah, it. and the thing is, it, it helps. It's based on the idea that, uh, all right, now maybe by now people know what we are and what we do. Mm -hmm. And that's starting to happen a little bit more. And this might also be a way of extending that. That's mm -hmm. like this is another part of the brand. The brand is mm -hmm. original music and cool, you know, collaborations with guests. Yeah. And also... 
we do the you know like, hired professionals as well. Yeah, yeah. No, that's right. And, and, and we'll do weddings. Like helping. Oh yeah. We did a wedding this summer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> People like I heard us at a at a at an art gallery and said we want you to do our daughter's yeah, wedding. I could see so. you do that. Yeah. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Cool. Uh, but with this uh, this record with, with Eden, uh, what uh, what do you have planned for that? Um, what would um, we've got a couple of shows booked. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's yeah, really busy, show, right? uh, but uh, we 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 do have some things coming up. We're we're, we're doing at the uh, I think it's the twenty second of December. Yeah, we're playing at the Blue Room. Yep, and we'll have both Eden and Tish do a set. We'll do oh, two okay. sets, one set with Eden, one set with Tish yeah. for that. And then uh, February 9th, I believe it is, yeah, we'll be playing at Chan's and doing one two-hour show with both singers. Oh, cool. So it'll be some Evening Sky, you know, quartet stuff, then bring up a singer, then bring up another one, and, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. Over the course of a two-hour show, we'll, you know, we'll do that. So we're looking forward to that. Yeah. I think we're playing uh, soon at the Music Room. Uh with Tish Adams, and we'll be doing some other dates at the Blue Room with with Tish as yeah, well. Yeah, that's a cool spot. Yeah. yeah, and then we have the usual you know things at the, our, our home at the parlor. Yeah, like your second second there, yeah. Saturday of the month, and that's always the, they've been great to us. Yeah, and uh, I get a Monday at the Red Door every once in a while. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be a trio, but once in a while I'll bring in Evening Sky. Yeah, and uh, we we actually did one a few weeks ago, and. A room full of people were actually sitting and listening to our stuff, yeah. which is something, you know. Yeah. Even the ballads. Yeah, that's good. That's so yeah. you know it's, and it's not like we're like super we're taking off or whatever, but we definitely feel like we have more traction now uh-huh. that people know who we are, yeah. or starting to know where we are, or at least knowing that we might be something cool. Yeah, and might might worth be you know be worth checking out. It's not everybody's cup of tea. We know it's a hard sell as far as booking. Yeah, that's that's, yeah. The, that's the thing because where do you book a band like that? Yeah, and outside of the parlor and like the you know the play the blue room and and the red door and stuff like that, we don't want to necessarily try to get ourselves in every bar that where people are playing it because we're not that kind of a band. Yeah, you know, yeah, you and uh, you know, so we're looking we're looking for, we want to. Two things we would love to accomplish. One would be to have someone be able to represent us and get and work on getting us booked in places that are not bars, mm-hmm. and maybe and probably outside of Rhode Island. Yeah. And then the other thing would be to do more stuff like that, both as a quartet and then maybe with a guest here and there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We don't want to necessarily always go out with a singer. Because we don't want to become as great as the singers are, and we love playing with them. Yeah, they know, they understand it too. That we don't want to become known as the band that has this singer or that singer. Yeah, no. but we also want people to know that not only can we do this original stuff with the quartet. Yeah, but if we play behind this person or this person, you get another whole dimension. Yes, to what yeah. we're doing. Yeah, that seems like a lot yeah. of what the the thought behind the band. I mean, was, it's you know? th- that's the thinking. And in some ways, it establishes and it helps establish an identity, mm-hmm. which I'm, I'm I'm actually very proud that we have established now an identity mm-hmm. for, and a sound. Um, but it's you know everybody realizes it's a, it's a tough sell. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's it, live music is you know it's you know 
for people to come in and listen to live music where they just sit and listen, you know, it's, that's a hard sell. And yeah. with a band that's not a straight ahead jazz band yeah. or not a straight ahead country band or not a straight ahead, you know, funk band or, yeah. or roots band, but that combines all that stuff, it's, it's a tough sell. I, I always tell people, even if you think you don't, you won't like it, you'll probably like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not like something for everyone. It's, you know, there's some people that's not going to be their cup of tea, but more people who have heard us, I've, we've had the experience very often where people have heard, heard it and say, wow, I didn't think I was going to like this, but I like this. <laughs> or, I don't really like jazz, but I love this stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, or, you know, that reminded me of uh, yeah. this. What was that tune you played? Well, that was one of ours. Well, really? I thought, you know, yeah. we hear that a lot, which, you know, so if we're grabbing people by the ears like that and... And getting them to the point where they say, what I really like about, and we hear this a lot, what I really like a bit about the, the thing is you guys have a very particular, identifiable, and very listenable sound. Yes. You've got your own thing. Yeah. You know, that's always been my thing as a, as a player, but to have a whole band like that where everybody's of the same mind, and we've actually like started to achieve that. Yeah. And people are recognizing it. Yeah. That I like when people yeah. actually recognize it unprompted. Yeah. You know, sometimes Especially I prompt, sometimes I prompt them. They say like, "So what do you?" Yeah. <laughs> but no, but uh, it, it's it's happening unprompted and yeah. that that's really gratifying to everybody because that's what we're going for. Yeah. You know? But especially for yeah, like the the instrumental stuff that you're you know, like that to be identifiable with that, you know, it takes you know, it takes a certain something, you know, it takes pro- all those years of uh, you finding your your own sound and what Gino's worked on and, and yeah. Eric's recording and his his set, the fact that he uses that certain drum and yep. but yeah, that you can, you know, hear that and be like, Oh, this is you know, without having a vocalist that you know, usually yeah. it can be what identifies a band, you know, yeah. or separates them, you know. So obviously you're working with these different vocalists at times, yeah. but um being able to carve that out is is definitely something you yeah. should be proud of. And the and the thing is we, we feel comfortable doing some stuff with a vo- with a with a singer yeah. or an, or a horn player because we also know we've got the other thing pretty well yeah. developed. Yeah. So it's 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 parallel tracks. Yeah. Um in some ways it makes it distinctive, but then again, you know, everybody knows it's 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 always an uphill climb to get that stuff heard and to, you know, find places where you can yeah. play. And none of us is young. So that makes that makes a difference. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. Fought, we've run into that. Yeah. Uh, really we we have. You know, there's it's uh, you know places we just don't get booked because Oh really? You know, wow. <laughs> Just, we're not young and good looking. It's just, it's. You're old and good looking. Well, well, yeah. well, Eric is. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, it's, it, you do run into that. I, you know, I'd be interested to find out what happens when you get out of town. Uh huh. You know, and if there were some contact, the, the rare occasions where we've done that, I think last summer we played a thing in New Bedford. Mm-hmm. A town festival where they had music all over the all over town. Yeah, and yeah. one of the one of the people who was involved in doing that was Neil Weiss from Wailing City Sound. Yeah, which is a jazz label based out of uh, New Bedford, and he had us play one thing, and he hung out where we were playing, and really liked it, mm-hmm. and said all the things that we're saying. You guys have definitely have a great, you know, a real identifiable sound. 
great players, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, and people there liked it. And when we've been in places outside of the usual bars, I mean, the, the places that support us regularly, they're great. And we're so grateful for them. But yeah. when we've gone to other places and done our thing, uh, like on this series or at an art gallery or whatever, and people who wouldn't normally come to the parlor or the red door yeah. see us there where they're just sitting without a bar yeah. and like it. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, that's, we've, we've seen that a few times. Like New Bedford, we did um, in Plymouth, the Aspire Center, Art Center. They have oh, like okay. a front room series. We did that, and people like that. Cool. Um, so it'd be. I'd like to really have the opportunity to have someone find places for us that beyond what we're doing and outside of Rhode Island. Yeah. Just to see, you know, yeah, and, you know just, I, you know, it, see if it would translate. I think it would, oh, yeah, because yeah. now every everybody feels a lot more confident in what we're doing than yeah. we did like even a couple of years ago. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, I would love to see that you know, happen. The, the trick is, the real trick is going to be to find someone who, you know, knows the business and has the time yeah. to help us do that. Because yeah. none of us have a lot of time to do that. Yeah. And I really think that most places don't want to hear directly from the band. Yeah. Uh, or there's a, yeah, if you have they, they get kind of like third party. Emails and yeah. texts every day. Yeah. For, yeah. So yeah. somebody who really yeah. knows... Knows the band, knows the business, yeah. Knows where to, you know, knows where we would like to play, and has yeah. the time to explore that. That's 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 that would be one of my goals is to find find that person, yeah, that could do that. Yeah. And but nobody has. Everybody's realistic in their expectations too, I you know, because yeah. it's yeah. you know we've been in the business too long to yeah. you know, not be realistic. Yeah. 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 Up to this point, what would you say has been your your greatest musical accomplishment? I'm very proud of a number of bands that I played in, like Evening Sky, the band with Steve DeConti. Um, mm-hmm. There was a f- funk band I was in with Dave Tannery and Vinnie Pagano in the in the yeah. early '80s that I that was just it was pisser, just a yeah, great band. Yeah. Um, I would have to say though that the, the the opportunity, what I was able to do with the series at Aspire, mm-hmm. seven years that ran. Yeah, you know, a gig for any gig that runs seven years, and yes. to get away with playing like real jazz, yeah, in a hotel bar for seven years with a different band every week, yeah, and to keep the level of music very high, yeah, and to have to have it be like a go to place for local jazz fans. Yeah. Just like Allery was when I was a kid, yep. you know, when I was in college and thought, wow, this, what a cool place, you know, and people actually came to that mm-hmm. for that reason. They, they, you know, they they knew that that's where it was happening. And then in the middle of that, to have people who were staying at the hotel, who just came down from their room because they heard it, and say, you know, I don't really like jazz, but I love this. <laughs> you know, what were you guys doing there? You know, yeah, to yeah. have at, those kind of interactions with people. Because so often people go, oh, jazz, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool, <laughs> you know. Yeah, um, yeah. So to have that and, and at the same time be doing it with great players. I get mm-hmm. to play with Duke Robillard. I get to play with Greg Abate. I get to play mm-hmm. with Dan Moretti. I get to play with, uh, with Deborah Mann, mm-hmm. uh, Sean Montero, Grace Sargent. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, Grace Sargent wanted to sit in. 
you know, uh, uh, um, local people, Mike Renzi. Mm-hmm. I got to play with Ted Casher, who was like, you know, I heard about as a legend when my brother was in Berkeley, yeah. and I got to play a gig with him. Dennis yeah. McCarthy, the great R&B singer, yeah. to be able to play with him and almost stop time by doing a ballad one night at the slowest tempo you could possibly imagine yeah. and have the audience just with you all the way. You know, cool. to be to, yeah. to be able to do that, and then now next week you've got a chance to do it again. Yeah. So to do that over seven years, yeah. that was a great opportunity. I I I'm not one to say things about myself like this, but I'm proud of what I accomplished there, like that. It, yeah. And and it really is difficult for me. Anybody who knows me says it knows how difficult it is for me for me to utter that phrase. Yeah. But because I'm pathologically <laughs> self-deprecating, but yeah. uh, um, I'm really proud of that. Yes. And also it, it, what it did for me musically, mm-hmm. you know, and people look back at it as a big, you know, a, a cool thing that happened Yeah, in, on the Rhode Island music scene. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you figure, you know, other things that have happened here, um, you know, I'm, it's nice to be a, you know, a little chunk of that. Yeah, that's cool. Well, this has been fantastic, Joe. Thank yeah, you so thanks, much. Man. This is fun. Hello.